Welcome to Kaplan's Learn Better podcast. My name is Stuart Pedley-Smith, Head of Learning at Kaplan here in the UK. In this series, you're going to hear from both students and experts as we take a look at a range of topics related to personal and career success in the world of accountancy and finance. There's little doubt that the pandemic has had an impact on many aspects of people's lives, not least the world of work. But what about the changes in the job market? Has working from home become the new norm? And importantly, what do employers now want and expect? My guest today is Caroline King. She's the Director of Permanent Talent Solutions at Robert Half, the specialist talent solutions consultancy. Caroline has been talking with employers and candidates throughout the pandemic and as such is ideally placed to reflect upon the changes and share her thoughts about what the future might hold for finance professionals. Caroline, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Stuart. Caroline, can you tell me a little bit about, I think it's interesting to find out about people's backgrounds, can you just tell me a little bit about your current role and perhaps what you like most about it? Yeah, so I've been recruiting finance professionals for the last seven years. And probably what I like most is genuinely changing people's lives when you get them the dream job and people are almost in tears sometimes and they send you flowers, chocolates, come and see you and you get messages from them and thank you cards. It's the best feeling in the world knowing that you're, I'm not saving lives, I'm not a doctor, I'm not going to say that, but being able to change someone's life for the better in their career, which is so important to people. Yeah, it's just really nice to be able to be involved in that industry. Yeah, and I suppose I think there is a thing, isn't there? Sometimes people think it's about as quickly matching the job to the person, but it's quite a responsibility that's longer term, isn't it? Because if you put the wrong person in the wrong job, it's good for no one, is it? You know, the employer's going to turn around and say, well, why did you do that? It didn't work out. They were here a year. And the employee's going to say, that really wasn't the job I was looking for. So there's, there's a real, like you say, personal understanding of both sort of clients and candidates and that you need yeah. to match it's a sense of ownership I think that we've got their careers in our hands really yeah so obviously everyone's job's been disrupted or changed for good or for worse if you think back to the time before the pandemic and compare it to what you see now what what are your observations How, how's that sort of two three year period change the recruitment in terms of finance professionals? Yeah, well, it's sort of exactly what we're doing today. It's the virtual world that really wasn't part of the recruitment process at all. Teams and Zoom have sort of totally changed how companies interview candidates and how candidates can sort of interact with recruiters as well. Being able to just jump on a video call for an interview or a meeting with a recruiter or for interview prep or whatever it might be, it's it's totally changed the way and the speed that we do things. Um, I think when we discussed it last time, we were just saying a, a lot of candidates are now able to move around the country. I, I just focus on roles within London, but we have candidates wanting to work in London, but based out of London. And that's been so much easier for them to be able to do that first stage interview virtually and not have to get the train down from wherever they are. So it's definitely opened up the pool for candidates being able to move around the country. And similarly, we have seen a lot of people move out of London just for the whole sort of work-life balance. I think the last three years sort of changed a lot of people's opinions on, you know, what they wanted in their life, what was important, maybe being closer to family and friends was that. So we, we've seen a lot of candidates move out of London um, or even abroad as well, back back to wherever they're from originally as well. 
but also the kind of increase in actually fully remote opportunities. It was just yesterday I was chatting to a candidate um, who herself had moved out of London in the pandemic and now her company's got rid of their office so she never has to go back into London ever again. So she's been able to move even further out. So, yeah, we're, we're noticing a lot more companies, more tech firms, I would say, actually, are, are sort of starting the whole sort of fully remote workforce. Yeah, it's just the virtual capacity has really um, increased everything. And how does that affect salary weightings for regions? How, how are employers dealing with that? Yeah, it's a tricky one, really. Um, you've always had the whole sort of London waiting thing, mm. which if the candidate is doing a London role, they're still expecting the London salary. Mm. There's not a huge amount of remote roles out there, so we haven't had to come across it loads. Um, but I would say they're still paying a London salary, even if the candidate is remote. Because the other thing is, a lot of people don't want a remote role. Mm. Um, they like the interaction of going in once a week, especially if somebody's newly qualified, just done their ACA or ACCA or SEMA, and they're looking to kind of increase their career and exposure. They want to be in the office more than not, so they probably wouldn't be wanting that sort of remote role. It's funny you forget the... <laughs> it's, it's this age thing again, isn't it? You forget how important being in the office or with people is... Mm. When you are, you're trying to figure the culture out. I work from home and have done for a long time, but that's okay for me because, you know, my network is relatively strong and I've met a lot of people and I can pick the phone up. I understand the culture. Once again, coming back to your responsibility in placing people, mm. there is an element of almost explaining, saying, look, I know you might want 100% at home because it's convenient. But, the, you know, there are advantages in forming relationships with your colleagues who you'll have to work with for the next, you know, five, ten years. Yeah, exactly. We're definitely noticing it more at people starting out in their career that it's so important to them. That sort of networking in the office, catching someone at the coffee machine or water cooler, whatever it is, that sort of getting that opportunity with somebody senior um, and just picking their brains on something, that's what I would encourage people to be doing when they're in the office, use your time wisely, try and grab lunch with whoever, you know, different departments, that kind of thing. Most businesses we're working with in London, people are going in Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and they have Monday and Friday at home. People say that they feel like they can get on a lot more without the distractions and without the commute and what have you. But when you are in the office, you should be using that time wisely to, to get yourself around and, and network. It's funny, isn't it? Because even within... From a learning point of view, we tend to look at environments. We don't look at rooms or places, um, i.e., you know, like it's an online learning environment versus mm. a classroom learning environment. But even within the workspace, in the office space, there was a need for people to have a quiet room. <laughs> you know, it's you know, it's quite strange, isn't it, that you go into the office, but you don't really want to be talking to everybody all of the day. Yeah, It's nice to get on with something for a couple of hours and then effectively walk down the corridor and just sort of say, I got a bit stuck on this. Yeah, whereas you don't yeah. tend to do that. But it, we'd already started to divide the workplace up, I suppose, to even the physical workspace. Mm, yeah, with the sort of breakout areas, that was something yeah. that started coming in, hadn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So just sticking with the changes a little bit, mm. what about sort of hours of work um, you know, are people doing more hours, less hours? Yeah, well, flexible working is is just huge now. It's on everybody's agenda. When we're meeting candidates, 
that's their sort of number one priority, work-life balance and flexibility. And with that, we've also seen it's enabling more mums and dads being able to keep their full-time career and be a parent as well, um, which has been a bit of a struggle before the pandemic, I would say, because the flexibility wasn't there as much. I've actually noticed a business we're recruiting for, for a, it's a financial services firm, and um, their core hours are 10 till 4. So I thought that was quite interesting as well. And very forward thinking that it was a financial services business that probably pre-pandemic were the ones that, you know, you were chained to your desk 8 till 8 um, and, you know, eating a sandwich at your desk and what have you. Yeah. The, the organisation needs to set a structure like yeah. we are all in Tuesdays Tuesday, and exactly. Wednesdays, but you don't have to come in if you don't want to, because it gives that benefit of knowing that I don't need to say, you know, Caroline, are you in tomorrow? So, well, I know she'll be in because it's a working office day. Mm -hmm. I'll just knock on the door and I'll go and speak to her and we can catch up. Yeah, exactly. And it means then on your days at home, you can really get your head down and get reports written or, you know, all your admin prep and that kind of thing done so that when you're in, you're spending your time with people in any meetings, getting that face-to-face interaction. Widening the conversation a bit more then, sort of... State of the market, and and let's throw let's throw the B word in there yeah, as well. Yeah, that's If we not had a pandemic, we'd be talking yeah. about Brexit, particularly city roles and you know opportunities within sort of big firms, things like that. So, what's your view on? Well, let's put the two together and say Brexit, pandemic, is the market buoyant? Yeah. Uh, and what sort of jobs are most in demand? Well, sort of perfect storm, really, for a reduction in the talent pool. I would say in accounting and finance, people have left their careers and as I mentioned earlier gone back home home because people haven't seen their families for sort of three years so that's where the shortages come from mainly but then also skilled workers coming over Brexit has has affected that as well so Mm. in answer to your question what the market's like there is a serious shortage and what we like to call a war for talent Mm. unfortunately for for businesses hiring Um, they've got to be competitive with salaries and as we've mentioned, the flexibility piece and the hybrid working businesses that want people in five days a week. It's a real struggle to find that there's so many businesses offering very good, flexible working models and hybrid opportunities that they'll struggle to attract people when we've already got a lack of good candidates as well that are looking for jobs. But what about the skill set? Is it is it a higher skill set that people are expecting? Because, you know, I, I sometimes sit and think... Your ability to navigate the modern world is determined by technology, isn't it? You know, like Zoom was something that in my world we're very familiar with, but actually for some organisations they've never even considered it. What skills do employers look for now? And has that changed, I suppose, is the question. It hasn't changed massively, I think, because there is a, a lack of candidates available when you're going into a new opportunity, you need to get the best out of the reporting system or whatever it is that you're using. So someone that's able to pull data very quickly and improve the reports and also the business partnering skills as well. Just having the ability to talk to non-finance people about their numbers, about their business, about their KPIs, the forecasting, budgeting, especially within an SME where you might be working very closely with the CEO, MD on you know, the cash flow constantly it's is being sort of on top of those sort of numbers and being able to quickly pull through reports for management information. Thinking about technology, what are you hearing in the marketplace about things like tech? So are you being asked for specific skills? We talked about personal skills and systems, but what about the 
I'm going to I'm going to use the buzzwords of sort of blockchain and AI and and things like that. Are, are employers expecting accountants to come with knowledge of or some skill in? I wouldn't say we've seen a load of that, to be honest. But as a general rule, I would say the technology skills are probably, as we discussed, just the system side of things um, and just somebody that can pick things up easily. So different people might have used loads of different systems in their career, which probably shows that they can pick something up quite quickly and improve it. So that's probably the main focus that people look for. Definitely within the finance world. Yeah. Hi, I'm Sandil Malikarchi from Sri Lanka. I'm 21. I did SEMA and I'm currently employed as a senior associate in risk advisory at Givai. I think at the moment, the future of finance seems a little optimistic. The companies around the world and here in Sri Lanka are adapting to the once thought impossible digital transformation quite well. Personally, um, I have had to work from home for the most part of the past couple of years. Uh, what I miss the most, I think, is the office banter and going out with my work friends. I wouldn't say the pandemic changed my career or academic goals, but it certainly did emphasize how fragile some of our assumptions are. What do CVs look like? And, and I, let me ask the question in the context of digital. So we're seeing, you know, a growth in things like uh, digital badges and micro-credentials and LinkedIn profiles. Yes. What's that like now? LinkedIn, I would say, is key. Whenever you're in the job market or you're just looking to enhance your professional profile, having an up-to-date LinkedIn profile is key, definitely. Um, but CVs probably haven't changed loads, no. Um, what we recommend to candidates when we sort of go through their job search with them and help them improve their CV is just all about... Um, including achievements on every role. So what you've done to sort of improve your role when you went in and how, you know, that would make you more employable and why that specific company should hire you. So you're not just doing your nine to five A to B role, you're going in every time and improving things, whether it's reducing the month end period or debtor days or whatever it might be. Yeah. Now, the reason I ask is because there's, there's certainly a shift sort of in the education space to capture the skills so, you know, you mentioned a modelling course. Yes. It might look like, would you put that on your CV? And you might say, well, I won't put every little course I've been on. But if they issue a digital credential that sits mm. as a badge on the LinkedIn profile, you know, the idea is is that you can actually click on those, these might, and they will open up and tell people what they've actually learnt or studied. Yes. Then you can record that career path. You say, well, every year I've done an update on this. And then the employer could look at the LinkedIn profile yeah. and see a, a series of badges that they may never quite dig into. But at least what that says is he's an employer that is doing exactly what you're saying they should do, which is continually upskill. It's just tangible record, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And it's also having examples to discuss at an interview. If you've given a few um, examples of achievements on your CV, it's helping the interviewer sort of prompt you to yes. develop those stories. Um, so it's, it helps the interview flow if you've sort of put some of it on your CV already. Yeah, and that's a great link really into the, the next question. Interview process. So... And you may have talked a little bit about this already. Mm -hmm. Can you take us through step by step now what you're seeing, given that pre-pandemic people went into interview, then during the pandemic they didn't? 
what's come out the other end and, and where does that leave us? Yeah, so typically we're seeing um, all first round interviews will be done virtually and they are probably more informal now at a first stage. It's more of sort of getting to know each other than a technical interview at a first stage. Then bringing together the whole hybrid working, the second stage will be in person. So it gives the candidate the opportunity to see the office, check the commute. And it's just all those sort of little social cues that you can't really pick up virtually. Um, So going into the office is is really key for a second or third stage interview. Before the pandemic, you, you might have had a first round interview that was maybe an hour and it was quite grueling. And then the second interview would be like the golden handshake. Um, you know, it was just right. You'll, we like this person, get them to meet so-and-so. Whereas this time it's probably the other way around. The first interview is quicker. Second interview might be a bit more uh, intense. Yeah. And people want to meet people, don't they? Exactly. Do you know I mean? you know, well, this is somebody who's going to join my team, yeah. but I would really like you to meet David, Richard, Julie, because we work very closely with them and I value their exactly. opinion. I'd like you to meet them. And that's difficult on zoom isn't it it's so much easier if people pop in yeah so the protocol with online is everybody always on time is that because it should be a little bit easier shouldn't it typically people aren't late but there might be the odd occasion but yeah it's probably easier to make a first impression and actually some candidates have said to me and hiring managers over the last couple of years I don't think I would have got this job if it had been face to face for both rounds because I perform better in my comfort zone at home. I got through the first interview with the CFO because I was relaxed. I hadn't had the stressful commute. I'd got my notes with me. I could look down. I, you know, I was more engaged. Yeah. What What about? I mean, I, I live in a world of testing and exams and things. Do you see any pre-testing? That you know, you said the first interview may be online, but do employers ask for skills to be tested at all? Uh, sometimes we typically see it in larger organisations where they've got a whole suite of online testing that they use for all candidates, whether they're in finance or not. So they might be like just competency based, you know, verbal reasoning. It's more on maybe if it's a tricky role that they're trying to hire. Yeah, and I suppose if your role was, you know, you will be working on this system. We need to assess your level Mm. of skill within the system. So it's not maybe even a barrier to the job, but it's just us trying to figure out where you sit. In a tech world, that would be essential, perhaps, but maybe it's a nice to have in finance. Hi, I'm Yajna from Mauritius. And my take on today's podcast is, what's the future of accountancy and finance in a COVID-ready world? So one of the main benefits that has been brought about with COVID was remote working. Because once lockdowns were imposed in several countries, employees were quickly switched to working at home. And now we can see that after two years, employees can be trusted to do their work remotely without being physically present in the office. So going forward, remote working accompanied by flexible hours will remain in place in a COVID-ready world. Top tips then now, Caroline, sort of if I was looking for a new role, yeah, uh, what should I do and how should I prepare, I suppose? My top tips would be all around the research on the business not on the, you know, the 10 minutes before looking at the About Us page, really spending a good half an hour. And because the thing is, interviewers 
will spend half an hour preparing for the interview by reading your CV and, and preparing some questions. So really, it kind of works both ways that you should be preparing yourself as well, not only to talk about your CV, but to show some genuine interest in the business and be able to ask some tangible questions around the business, any challenges that they're facing, what their plans are for the future, and yeah, why you're kind of excited to work for a business like that, you know, why it's tangible to you. And then sort of pulling out bits of your CV that mirror the job description. So look, I know you, you're looking for someone who's got A, B and C. Well, actually, as you see on my CV, I've already done all of this and I've done it with bells on because I do this and this and this as well. So it's sort of trying to take a little bit of charge of the interview yourself, not wait for the questions to come and then to have to pull information out of you, be forthcoming with that information, sort of get there before they're going to ask you the questions. Um, and, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, especially if you're going through a recruiter, get them to help you. You know, what what is the style of the interview going to be? Is it going to be very informal, just a, a chat? Or is it going to be more mm. structured about competency questions? You know, working well under pressure, your strengths, weaknesses. It's a horrible question, but people always use it. You've got to try and think of your most positive weakness or something. Ooh, yeah. you. Um, but, you know, if you're not expecting that, you're not expecting it and you're not going to do very well if you haven't prepared. So, you know, there's loads of information out there to prepare for those competency questions if you know you're going to get them. So I'd, I'd work with the recruiter to find out the style of the interview and any tips that they've got for you. I'm just thinking about what you've just said there. The preparation is almost a, a social courtesy, isn't it? I really think so. You do, you know, put a lot of effort, possibly the biggest investment, particularly in you know, sort of intellectual capital. So when you're paying people for solving things, yes, then finding the right fit, it is polite and courteous yeah. that you give them not just your hour on the interview, it's actually your time to show that you've done something. Yeah, exactly. Because it's the same logic, isn't it? It shows that you've paid some attention and you've thought about yourself fitting within... It speaks volumes, yeah. Sp yeah, it speaks volumes, doesn't it, really? So... Let me see if I can summarise some of this, uh, Caroline. From what you said, the market is good at the moment, lots of jobs, but interviewing online needs arguably more preparation, uh, but the face-to-face -face interview is still critical. But from what you've just said, your big message really is you've got to do your homework. You're trying to differentiate yourself from others. And I suppose the other takeaway for me was this about that the change, probably the biggest one, is this work-life balance. Employers are recognising it in order to get access to talent and employees are asking for it because they see the value. And arguably, it's a win-win situation. Have you got a sort of big takeaway or an thought or just an emphasis on some of that? Yeah, definitely. That's a great summary. Um, the other thing I think is about using your network and it might be, you know, using LinkedIn to see what's going on in people that you're connected to. But just in general, friends, family, colleagues, past colleagues, sort of keeping touch with all of those people because you never know they might be hiring or be able to give you information about business that you're looking into. So, um, yeah, and, and equally, like I mentioned at the start, use your time you know, in the office very wisely to do that networking as well, sitting with different people, having lunch, you know, going to somebody's birthday drinks in a different team, but getting yourself out there so they know whoever you are in finance that, you know, they're, they've been telling me about this project that they've been working on. So, yeah, just put yourself out there would be my, my 
be my tip. And, and I think, yeah, once again, sitting on the more, you know, being around a bit longer side, if anybody came up to you and just said, can I have five minutes? It's always quite impressive that somebody wants to pick your brains or, you know, it's, it's an ambition, isn't it? You say, well, I'm curious about what you do. Can you just tell me a bit more? It's not an invasion that it's actually, you know, regardless of what you learn from it, it actually makes you stand out in the eyes of the person that you're asking the question. Exactly. And you would probably know, would you have had the career that you've had if you hadn't had that opportunity to ask people along the way? And I definitely wouldn't have being able to, to call on people when you need to. Where do people keep in touch about this? Is there any salary guides or things published or just general things about the market that you'd recommend people look at? Yeah, I think looking at any recruiter's website, they will have a salary guide on there that you can download. It will give you information about your salary, what the next salary banding would be, the changes in the market. And, you know, wherever you are in the country, you know, looking maybe to reach out to a consultant from whatever recruitment company you find in your local area and ask them for some advice on your career. You know, even if you're not looking for a role, it might just be, well, do I need to get this experience because one day I would like to be FPNA manager or director or I want to be a CFO or head of finance or head of finance and operations. What experience do I need to get? I've seen your salary guide. It says this. What do you think I need? So, yeah, just just reach out and ask for some help. Caroline, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Stuart. Thank you for listening to Kaplan's Learn Better podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts to help more people find us. Let's continue the conversation. Follow us on social at Kaplan UK and let us know what you'd like to hear discussed on future episodes. 